0: We want the dynamite
1: from the post-wrestling site, you, lighting up the fuse, sit back and enjoy the bubbly, as we hear from John and
0: Way Tate, where we're going we don't need roads, and if the buck stops
1: here yeah, this thing might blow, everything you hear are opinions of the show, and if you don't like it, go to the Forbes and let them know. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Rewind to Dynamite. John Pollock here, along with Wei Ting. It is your Wednesday night fix of AEW. How are you, Wei?
0: Oh, man, I'm tired. I'm so tired, John. not, <laughs> not even going to try to hide it. I'm fucking exhausted, so...
1: Oh, be that, honest about it. Just let it out. Yeah, that's how I'm doing today. How are you? Um... <laughs> I'm exhausted, too, but uh, probably not to the extent that you are. You sound pretty pretty beat. Was today a, a trying day for you?
0: Um, You know, I, it didn't really hit me until the show, and I don't think it's any— I don't know if it's any indictment of the show. I don't think it is. I think it just caught up with me at about, like, 9 o'clock today. So apologies in advance, everybody, if my analysis isn't as stellar as usual.
1: I'm sure it's going to be fantastic way. Don't, I hope don't so. Don't you worry. I'm
0: going to have to need you to carry me
1: as usual, John. No, 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 no. I, uh, I'm i the one that usually gets the free pass. So uh, we'll get through this one together, Wei. Uh This was, I, I would say this, that as we were getting closer to tonight, when I knew I had to sit down and watch this, this did feel like the least um, urgent dynamite that I can recall. And I was aware of, like, they, they had announced matches. It wasn't like... Uh, an episode of SmackDown where we're just tuning in and God knows what the two hours is going to be full of, but I just didn't feel like this felt like a big show. And maybe it's partly because I would even say similar to NXT. It seems like everything's geared towards next week and this is setting everything in place for next week. At least that's how I felt at eight o'clock. Yeah, that might've
0: had something to do with it. You know, the fact that they, they chose next week to, to build everything around, um, do you think it has anything to do with maybe sort of a uh, uh, a lack of freshness at this point for either show, NXT or
1: Dynamite? Um, there might be something to that. Uh, I I definitely feel with AEW, we are through the honeymoon period where I think that you're you're starting to get a lot more, um, more so just analysis about the the show in general right now, where things are going, what's working, what's not working it it seems like the, there was the beginning p- period where it was just, it was so new, it was so fresh, and I, I think that they are through that period. However, they're still getting the hot crowds, and I think that's mm-hmm. still a big benefit on this show. Like, these are very lively crowds, even if they um, differ in size from earlier episodes of Dynamite. It's still, it sounds great. And it, I think that's a big plus for the show consistently.
0: It's true. Every show, I would say, save for the pay per view, which you know from all accounts from people that were there, sounded really live, but for for whatever reason, didn't translate to TV. All these shows have made this feel like a, it, you know, these shows feel like they're parties to go to, so they've definitely kept that up.
1: Well, let's dive right into things because tonight they announced that their next pay per view is going to be on Saturday, February the twenty ninth. It will be AEW Revolution, taking place from the. Uh Wind Trust Arena, I believe it's called, in downtown Chicago. This is about forty-five minutes away from the Sears Center that their next pay-per-view will be. And we've got the date, so this will be uh three weeks after that John Jones fight, two weeks after takeover, and I guess that they're hoping that this will be a Saturday, that they will not have any uh stiff competition.
0: I mean, I think immediately it's it's interesting that they decide to do their next pay-per-view so close to their last pay-per-view of every, every place that they could have chosen. I, I, I really do wonder
1: what went into that decision. I'm sure their, their confidence in what they can draw in, in and around Chicago. I, but is that a lack of confidence in how they
0: could draw elsewhere? Cause I think they could definitely draw pretty well somewhere else as well.
1: Could be. Um, I mean, it it could just be as well. Like, we don't know if there's going to be a star cast tie in and, Just, you know, the the logistics
0: Conrad tweeted. No.
1: Oh, he tweeted. No. Okay. Well, there you go. Then there's not going to be a star cast that that's interesting as well, because that makes this one more interesting, because if you're going to have traveling fans, how much is the lack of a star cast going to affect that? Are people going to make the same kind of distance uh, to travel for a one night event? If AEW is not going to be doing any sort of uh, shoulder events that weekend in the city.
0: Right. Do you know do you know the capacity of the uh Wintrust arena? Let me look Let that us, up quickly. Let us uh ten thousand
1: about. Yeah. And I would imagine it would be scaled probably given what the set is, probably eighty, five hundred or so, you would guess. Right. Uh mm-hmm. given whatever the size of the uh the, the set is going to be. Um th- yeah, this will be interesting to see if they can sell this out. I I've certainly think we're past the automatic sellout phase. So uh, unless it is maybe All Out, which would you would, you would assume is, like, their strongest branding uh, of an event that could still have that, that impact. But this will be um, – yeah, it'll be interesting. Like, they're going back to their hottest market, but also one that has just had so much. And even just AEW, you're looking at All Out. They were just there at the Sears Center uh, two weeks ago, and now you're going back for a pay-per-view. Granted, it, we are still uh, – you know, two and a half months away from this, or right. I guess, yeah, two and a half months.
0: Two and a half months, and you would assume Double or Nothing would take place again, per- potentially. that they say it would stay? Memorial in
1: Vegas? Day, Memorial Day in Vegas. That seems to be the pillars. Will be Double or Nothing. Will be Memorial Day weekend in Vegas each year, and then all out will be at the Sears Center Labor Day weekend. Those seem to be the the homes of those events.
0: Right, and maybe, uh, and then full gear, potentially.
1: Yeah, we'll see if full gear becomes. Um, are they going to stay in Baltimore? Will they... I, I don't think you should marry every pay-per-view to one city. I think you can you can have your double or nothing and all out, but I would have... If you're doing four pay-per-views, I would want two that you can float and and go to different markets with. I wouldn't want to have a, a home base for every single pay-per-view.
0: Which is why, I again, I, I was somewhat surprised that Chicago was chosen as a destination for this particular show, but sure. perhaps there's an explanation.
1: Yeah, it's... Uh, obviously, the location to Pro Wrestling Tees, you wonder if that plays into any of their logistics as well. Um, and maybe it's just simply like, hey, it's a, it's our hottest market. We're going where we can draw the best. And what they've learned from their touring so far of, if we want to sell 8,500 tickets, this is the best place to go. Yeah, could be. Um, some other quick news and notes. We got something very rare on Tuesday way. Two wellness policy violations. Robert Rood and... Primo Cologne, the first since Page several years back, twenty sixteen, I believe. How about that? That we have gone three years without wellness policy violations, and then two people get popped this week.
0: Well, I guess in Primo's case, I—I I mean, that one really surprised me because is—is this dude even showing up at TV? Like, how is he even getting tested?
1: He obviously, yeah, there. They're very uh, vague. They don't provide any details about these policy violations, what they uh, were tested for, what like anything. They don't provide any details other than their violations, and they were effective immediately. So 30 days. So that would mean uh, January 9th. I guess both are eligible to return. Mainly, it means Rude (laughs) is eligible to return, and Primo can assume whatever role he has been assuming uh, during this time, which has mainly been, like, Puerto Rico, where, you know, mm-hmm. the status of Primo has kind of been up in the air. Like, uh, w- like what the status even is of the colognes, but I guess this confirms they are with the company.
0: Yeah, like, can you suspend somebody who's who doesn't even, like, show up to work? It's... It, <laughs> does anything change for him?
1: Well, obviously, there was some kind of violation. So, right. whatever it was, right. um, there, there was some kind of violation, but... Yeah, they don't really go into any kind of specifics about like what what the nature of this was, unless either guy opts to speak publicly and maybe uh, will want to have it out there. What they tested positive for, because naturally people are going to just speculate, which I don't think is really responsible. But that's kind of the position WWE They're They're not going to label a substance. So who knows what it is that either was on.
0: It's difficult to know what the repercussions might be for somebody like Rude without knowing exactly what the what the uh, suspension's for, you know, can you see this potentially harming his current
1: push? No, I don't think so. I think it's 30 days, he comes back and he'll be in the exact same position. I don't think it's going to make any any kind of difference. It's not like he was a very um heavily pushed guy. Like we did see the one with Roman Reigns a few years ago where you could certainly see they kind of You know, held him back for a little bit. He had that loss to Finn Balor, but ultimately it was, you know, they were just going to take one step back with Roman before continuing him in the exact same role. So I I wouldn't expect much different with Bobby Roode here. It's not like he was heavily figured in, but I guess you could say he was part of the main heel act on SmackDown, but I don't know how much his presence is going to be felt over these 30 days. He was pretty much the third guy. Um, it'll just be interesting if maybe they throw someone else uh, with Ziggler during this time period. That would be the indication that Rude um, doesn't come back and get his spot teaming with Ziggler. I guess that would be something to watch for. Hmm. Uh, some TV ratings: Raw on Monday did uh, two million one hundred fifty thousand viewers, so they were just—it uh, was just under a three percent drop from the week prior. Uh, Monday Night Football was way down. Last week was there. Most watch Monday Night games, so they were down nineteen percent this week, but didn't result in um more raw viewers uh this week. Raw largely stayed flat uh, I guess the good news was there was less of a tune out from the start of the show to the end, but that was also because there were much less uh tuning in at the beginning in that first hour as well but um yeah i I guess so their retention was a bit better, so that that's one bit of uh good news for them
0: so this divorce segment was it a success or no
1: uh i don't know how that segment did itself i would imagine when the uh if the quarter hours come out in the observer i would imagine that segment's going to do really well i would imagine that would have carried that first hour just because of the train wreck nature of it although what a god-awful segment that was
0: in hindsight it was i mean it's not like we expected an amazing segment going in i would say it just kind of it was exactly what what it was supposed
1: I'll, to be. I'll tell you, there's there's definitely a big difference to us getting to do this show and getting to get all of our thoughts out. But when you're watching this and you got to just harness what you're watching and you have no outlet for it, yeah, it was it was just excruciating this past Monday way.
0: Oh, right, of
1: course. Um, well,
0: what did you think of it? Other than the fact that it was, you thought it was terrible.
1: Any other thoughts on Raw that you wanted to share? Um. I don't have too many thoughts. I, I just thought the show got off to such a horrendous start. I thought Lana's acting was just awful. And I think it's like she feels she's doing like this great acting work and it's like bad acting. It's just you've awful. See,
0: you've seen the rest of this angle, right? Like it's, I don't know if it, I, I agree with you. It seems like she's, they're all taking it somewhat seriously, but it's just, I, I, it's it's to me it's like the perfect type of acting for this really terrible
1: angle. Uh oh, it's just the worst. Yeah. Um but your your point is right that I mean Rusev is getting over with this. Like this audience is getting behind him here. Um I really question that like I don't think Lashley has gotten one thing out of this angle at all. I feel when this angle is over he is the exact same character he was before this angle. I don't think he's done anything to uh, change his his persona at all, whereas Rusev has done his best, I think, to make the best out of what is a pretty panned angle.
0: No, Lashley is the accessory to, to Lana in all this, in the feud between Lana and, and Rusev. Um, you know, I guess Lashley will be involved in what what should be a pretty hot match on Sunday. But I agree. I, d- I think beyond t- TLC, I
1: mean, if they be on this angle, I don't, I don't know how much he retained. I had no idea why Sami Zayn was on Raw. To me, the only answer I came out of that segment was they had so such a lack of faith in Mojo Rawley cutting a promo. That Sami Zayn was their answer. And what a, what a bizarre segment. Like, are you really going to pair this geek with Sami Zayn? If the whole reason... To give a guy a manager would be the idea that, well, this is going to help get him over. Well, we booked him in a segment where he was designed to be six feet under in our booking here. So I, I didn't understand any of that logic at all. I guess he's what a just, d- dead on arrival character Mojo Rawley is. Yeah, right?
0: I now. guess he's just a manager of um, losers.
1: He's got a champion on SmackDown. It just... There was no one else that could cut this promo for Mojo Rawley. Because to me, it was just an absolutely... Any single human being that can put words in a correct order could have done this promo. And apparently, Mojo was not one of those candidates. Anything else? Um, I'm trying to think. How Rollins. Did it end? Rollins stuff, I... <laughs> that band segment was quite the reveal. Um, his promo I, I did I did like the promo at the end I think you do have a natural program to go with Uh, with Kevin Owens at the moment although neither right now is booked for the pay-per-view as of Wednesday night mm-hmm. so I think we're kind of going into Sunday where how many matches do we have announced like six
0: I think something like seven or seven or so yeah
1: something so it like just that. it just seems like there's probably a bunch of match it, there, there's a lot of programs like Randy Orton and AJ Styles, that w- was not officially announced yet. So it seems they've they have programs. It's just waiting for are we gonna see these matches on Sunday or not? So that's always what I like about a pay-per-view. Sit down and uh hope that you're gonna be getting some of the matches. Mm. And maybe you'll be surprised and you'll get them. But um I, I did think Raw got better as the show went on. Um ending was all right. AJ and Ray to me was AJ Styles and Ray Mysterio having a WWE kind of match it just to me didn't really get to a level I I would I would hope for it to be at it was it was fine and that's just fine we've talked about it fine is just nothing memorable I will never think of that match again so that was raw in a nutshell cool uh what else do we have backstage on Tuesday night did 127,000 viewers so this was the return of punk his last appearance did 180 that was the show's high so it seems that while we're not at the pre CM Punk level of numbers, uh, the the shiny new toy has a bit less shine in his second appearance. This was this was lower than last week, which had no Punk on it. It was Seth Rollins on the show last week.
0: I think the breaking of that momentum coming off of that first week with Punk debuting, I I think hurt it. You know, I they promoted it on Monday, but they, it also by this point. I think anybody who did watch didn't think that it was going to be anything game changing.
1: It's CM Punk, I would say giving uh it's like CM Punk on a morning show or doing media and the host knows wrestling and asks him some wrestling questions and you get his opinions on them. It's it's fine. Um I I I cannot imagine anyone uh rearranging their evening schedule to make sure you're there to watch this. I actually
0: think it's a it's a pleasant show to have on in the background. I I think Punk try is trying a little bit too hard to be controversial. Um, you know, in a way, he definitely like makes the panel a lot more real and a, a lot more genuine and authentic because he. But it almost feels like he's kind of there to like, you know, purposely point out things that he feels like he can't say. And at this point, I saw it yesterday. It felt a little bit gimmicky i do think where like the show kind of excels is just like giving a forum for guys like baron corbin or seth rollins to speak in an honest way and i thought corbin actually came across really well yesterday um just kind of talking about like the 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 process of playing a heel character and talking about how it's so easy to rile people up on twitter um and then punk can be a good uh you know can add something to that but I think, like, the parts where he stood out the most were when he was talking about, like, ongoing storylines. And, you know, he just kind of gives his own analysis, much like I think the way you and I would. It was interesting, but I wouldn't say thing, anything that, you know, would, would change anybody's uh, schedule or viewing habits, especially at a time when there are already so many things to catch up on. But it's something it's like background programming.
1: I think it's perfectly fine. Yeah, it was – what was the one – uh comment i heard it was when renee young was teeing up a question about seth rollins and is addressing punk about his thoughts on how seth rollins addressed the wwe universe on monday night yes like at the very least i think we can tone out the like the the crazy buzzwords
0: well i mean they're trained to to talk that way
1: oh i know i'm sure it's it's not even a directive i'm sure that's just beaten into renee's head of that's just it's just natural like it's yeah. just you're suddenly in kickoff panel mode, and that's we don't say fans. It's like you're just so ingrained in that kind of uh, thinking. But it's I've gotten it's just so- to, to me so counter of the tone you're trying to achieve here, even it's even if it's kind of a veiled one. I guess I've gotten so used
0: to it that it like that type of stuff doesn't really bother me so much anymore, especially when it's coming from somebody like Renee. Um, and I, I, you know, I think the show has is having a bit of a tough time figuring out what it's supposed to be, because clearly the three of them, Paige Booker and and Renee are trying to do something similar to like Access or like confidential or whatever, like one of those, like a WWE produced talk show. And then punk, I think is coming in as more of a outsider who is at times seeming seemingly to like purposely point out perhaps how, I don't know. Try, he's trying to seem like a, a bit genuine, but I would even say maybe trying too hard to seem like he's different and and not like the other three.
1: It's the gimmick. It's like, oh, what's he going to say next? It's yeah. And I, I feel that he almost feels he has to be that guy because no one else on that panel is going to be that person. And that's that's why he's there. And you're right. He it just seems every answer is designed to be. Yeah. So, so something like that to have, your you know, your zinger. which is fine. There's going to be, which uh, is what they want, which is
0: what it it is what they
1: want. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I I think that that, that panel is still very much. It's, it's an awkward panel. I think with the the four of them, it's such contrasting personalities and just experiences of how this, this show is being done. And I don't think you can really nail down what, what this show is right now and what they ultimately want it to be. I think, you know, punk, uh, also is is somebody
0: who's you know self admittedly like who hasn't seen wrestling for years now so he's still trying to catch up on a lot of things and i think like if he continues to do this for several months i think the like he could but provide like a really unique voice at the moment i i don't really hear that much analysis from him that's really all that different from typically what you would see on a twitter timeline and i i wouldn't even go to the other 3 for analysis they're really just kind of there to like I don't know. Say what say what they think they're supposed to say.
1: He uh he booked the uh the Lashley Rusev program through WrestleMania. Yes, he suggested uh that Lashley Everyone gets sick of Lana.
0: Turns on Lana and then Lana finds a tag team.
1: Yeah. And then the tag team gets sick of her, so they have a match with her in a shark cage and the losers have to keep Lana.
0: Yes. Yes. And I guess that was somewhat contro- supposed to be controversial cuz she- cuz he spoke out against the story.
1: Well, he also said he had ideas um, of how to include the storyline uh, in Saudi Arabia.
0: Yes. Yes, that too. So said Saudi
1: Arabia. Yep. He's dangerous, folks. That's why he comes on at 11 at night. Don't know what he's going to say. Uh, and Total Divas is over. The season uh, finale featured, Are you, are you ready for this way, 229,000 viewers, second lowest in their history. So the average this season... 258,000 viewers, down 34% from the last season, which was airing on Wednesday nights. And interesting that when Ms. and Mrs. Returns, um, this being on USA Network as opposed to E, uh, they're putting that show, not on Tuesday nights, not on a night where I guess they don't feel WWE fans are watching. They're putting it on immediately following NXT on USA. Okay. Yeah. Nothing better than like Finn Balor and Keith Lee to tee you up for Ms. and Mrs. You know, I'm I think any sort of, like, um, stickiness probably helps. Wouldn't hurt. I guess, do you You know what the best crossover would be? What's that? Tommaso Ciampa waving at the screen and saying, Daddy's home, and then you cut the Miz with the kids. Interesting. Okay. They could do that. You could do a lot of crossover there. Yeah. Uh,
0: You know, I I suppose the question is whether or not the switching of the nights hurt them or, or if people just simply don't really care about the show.
1: I think it's more the latter. I feel like people, I can understand that for the first week, maybe that it it was abruptly moved to Tuesdays. And I think they even might've changed the time. I can't remember, but uh, the whole season, like we're talking 10 episodes. No one found this show in the same numbers of the last season. And I don't think a night, a night change should have changed. And that should have been certainly offset by Ronda Rousey being added to the cast this season. So that meant nothing. Um, I don't know. I would not have have been a turnoff for a lot of people. I don't know. I really don't have a great answer for this unless it's just there's an audience of WWE fans that are watching more than ever. And this is an easy show to cut out of their uh, viewing on a a Tuesday night, which is no longer uh, a night where they're like they were trained to watch SmackDown and then maybe tune into Total Divas after. They don't have that anymore. Um, You know, SmackDown moving might have been as big a factor as any being moved to Friday's. Could be. I mean, I guess I, I haven't
0: seen a, a demographic breakdowns for Total Divas, but I would always assumed that much of its audience weren't necessarily WWE fans of other shows. And I'd love to know if like those people stuck around or if those were the people that turned out, tuned out. Um, The lack of Bellas on this particular season, I've, I also wonder if, if it would have had any effect. So whatever. Do you think it comes back? Aren't they signed to like do more seasons?
1: Uh I imagine it'll be back, but it's I don't know. This this season to me was just such a uh such a low point for the series that it's um I, I don't know if it has much uh life left in it. I could see maybe Total Bell is continuing. I, I would imagine it gets one more go at things just because of the, the relationship uh with WWE. Mm-hmm. But this was uh that, that was a dramatic drop this season and curious to see if they keep it on Tuesday nights or or move it somewhere. More advantageous and maybe wednesday nights following nxt is the best slot for these shows even though it is on another network on e but pairing it with a one of the nights when wwe has programming and people are at least in front of their tvs and can flip over to e
0: totally it is so different honestly like of the wwe's portfolio i feel like those two products are are just the most opposite i suppose um ms and mrs and and, and nxt you know
1: oh yeah well, maybe they should try to create a spinoff, like take this Rusev Lashley angle and it gets its own series instead of total, total divas. You get uh total Lana. Hmm. Yeah, they didn't. Sure. They kicked them off of the show. That's right. They were gone. Yeah. And then they get a, a much more prominent story on, on raw. And uh final thing here. Uh, we'll have something up on the site on, on Thursday, but uh, news came out on Wednesday, the passing of Renee Goulet, who died all the way back in May. And it just got uh, announced publicly uh, this week. The Cauliflower Alley Club made this announcement. He died at the age of 86. Uh, Rene Goulet. He was a former WWF Tag Team Champion. Uh, wrestled for years and years. And uh, younger fans would probably just remember him uh, for his time working in a backstage capacity with WWF. And whenever they had to do pull aparts or things like that, uh, he would be always. He was always there and worked with the company as a road agent up until. 97 so um yeah we'll have something on the site about that but amazing that uh this was kept quiet for months
0: yeah at a time when it feels like this stuff is immediate um man perhaps it, you know the choice of the
1: family to keep this private. oh i'm sure they was you know they asked to to keep it private i i don't know what the reasoning would be for that i mean sometimes we've seen that uh with with figures in japan where they've kept it quiet for a few weeks or something like that but this was just months and months that Mm. uh it was not made public but those are your news items you can go to postwrestling.com along with our entire schedule for the week uh including i do want to mention david Starr coming up on friday i think this is going to be quite the interview with jamesy
0: yeah, we uh, put a clip up on our YouTube, youtube.com slash postwrestling. You can find it on our Twitter as well of him talking about um, just a s- brief clip from this interview with James E. It's a whole two hour interview, but you can listen to a brief clip of it right now uh, with David Starr talking about his what he thinks of five star ratings and in particular what his match against Jordan Devlin from OTT's fifth anniversary show being rated five stars by Dave Meltzer, what it means to him.
1: And he was honest about it, too. Not like most wrestlers oh, yeah. who would probably, ah, big deal. They go back to their hotel room, and they're probably popping open the champagne bottles. Mm. AEW Dynamite from Wednesday night in Garland, Texas, from the Curtis Culwell Center. Did you see the video circulating? This was a fan-made video that did a Dallas-inspired video, the opening to Dallas, but with AEW. I saw it. Was this fan-made, or, or did they do it themselves? I thought a fan made this. Oh, wow. It was very well done. Actually, I, I'll i try and find out. Actually, someone in AEW uh, sent it to me privately, I guess just knowing that I would be a fan of this. Uh, but it I thought it was very cool. They should have started the show with this thing. I don't know if they have the – this wasn't – it was like a knockoff of the theme as well. I bet they could have gotten away with it. This is how AEW Dynamite should have opened tonight. I think every city should have its own
0: custom sitcom-inspired opening. Okay. Like when they when they come if they ever come to Toronto, they could do Degrassi uh Chicago, I guess it's what like,
1: Married with like, Children? Oh the big water fountain brilliant. goes down.
0: Yeah, that'd be great. San Francisco,
1: oh. they could do full house. Yeah. Um yeah, you can make some like play on uh instead of married with children, uh buried with over fifty. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I don't know. Okay. John Moxley storms through the crowd, and that's the first thing we get. And the commentators just uh, subtly note that he is the he is in possession of the fastest win in AEW history from his win over Michael Nakazawa. Yeah, uh, when it wasn't so s- subtle, I would say. No, it, it was not. I think everyone was uh, getting tipped off that that was said for a reason because there is poor Alex Reynolds in the ring, contemplating his his life. As he gets hit with a flying knee and a paradigm shift. And loses in 15 seconds as John Moxley tops his own record for the fastest win in AEW history. And Tony Schiavone notes that the fans have really taken to this guy. They're really into this guy John Moxley. And then he hits a paradigm shift to John Silver after the match as well. So pretty quick start here. Uh, John Moxley showcase and then setting up a uh, post-match deal with the Inner Circle.
0: Yeah, and this also sets up the uh, uh, Alex Reynolds and John Silver, the the Beaver Boys, for something else later on with the Dark Order.
1: Yeah, this was, you know, you you kill a guy in 15 seconds, but it was done with the knowledge that they were going to be giving these guys something later. This was like them hitting rock bottom, or at least Alex Reynolds hitting rock bottom. So more on that to come. The Inner Circle comes out. Uh, This was one of my major complaints on the show, and I... Guess I have to understand TNT's position here, but when the fans are chanting and they swear, they have decided we're going to kill the entire audio. And it was brutal during this. It was brutal during the MJF promo. And it's just, it was so.
0: We should specify. Do we know if it's TSN or TNT? I
1: mean, I was seeing people. I'm. Uh, you're right. It's a, it's a good question if this is TNT or last TSN. Week,
0: last week, um, Nick Jackson mentioned that their audio issues were because of a TN, TNT um, satellite feed or something like that at the beginning, like, during their match. Well,
1: th- well, this wasn't a technical issue. This was, like, they were censoring this. Well, what I mean is,
0: I guess when it comes to certain things, it could be left to the broadcasters themselves. not necessarily, well, that's what I... Not necessarily just TNT.
1: You know what I mean? Let me, uh... Let me see here as we're uh, talking about this, and I'll see if uh, people on TNT were having this. Um, Well, I'll I'll look this up as we're going through, but I was watching the TSN feed, and this was... uh, What did you watch tonight? Same, TSN. Okay. So the fans are swearing here. Jericho says... uh, First, he notes their language to keep it down. He says he respects Moxley. He's the top guy, but they have a history together, and he brings up Moxley coming to him 10 years ago, asking for advice. And he made fun of his haircut then, a Kurt Cobain bowl cut, and said that after giving him advice, they later became adversaries, and Jericho and him beat the shit out of each other, and the censor missed this one. And went through their feud, including Jericho being attacked by a 50-pound piece of crockery.
0: Yeah. Or, um... Mitch... Or was it Jericho attacking Moxley with the fifty piece of crockery? Who hit whom with the plant?
1: It was Jericho that hit him with the plant. You're oh, right. Oh, okay. And, yes. And yes, it was, yes. uh, yeah. So he hit yeah. him with the the crockery. Mitch, the potted plant. And the way he framed it was ultra serious. So he
0: was definitely reframing the whole spot to be non comedic. Which I he's oh yeah, com- he was complained about in the past.
1: He absolutely hated the way they called that that. uh they just laughed about it on commentary. He was, he was livid about that. Mm-hmm. Um, Moxley called Jericho to reignite his career, and Jericho navigated Moxley to AEW. And how did he get repaid? He was laid out at double or nothing, but Jericho was fine with that. It showed that Moxley still has a chip on his shoulder and was an asshole, but he's also a winner. And he wants Moxley to join the inner circle. And he tells him to go talk to your wife, talk to your mother, who I've met, over the holidays before you make a decision and joining us would be a true paradigm shift and we'll wait for an answer. And he placed an inner circle shirt onto Moxley's shoulder. And you think this is a spot that's just designed for Moxley to kick him and hit him with the paradigm shift, but it seems like they're going to build to that and they're going to leave this lingering for, I guess until a couple of weeks from now.
0: Yeah. Until they return. And I like it. I think, you know, it's, it's a very simple story. I mean, it's almost very tropey when it comes to pro wrestling factions, but I think there's enough interest there. Everybody kind of knows, you know, the end result of all this, but there's no no harm in letting people wait for it a little bit longer. I thought Jericho was excellent here, setting up the whole thing, bringing up his, his, his history with Moxley, and really, I, I think doing a good job of framing this segment for Moxley to look like a sought-after prize.
1: I hope that... It culminates in Jericho just so cocky, thinking Moxley's going to join him, and then at the end, Jericho puts his fist out for Moxley. <laughs> they aired a video hyping up tonight's Texas Street Fight, and this featured Excalibur with PWG footage talking about past guerrilla warfare matches involving the Young Bucks, and this video, very historic way, it was the AEW debut of Kevin Steen. Oh, okay. He made his way into this video package. Yeah, I like this video. It was good. It like it promised you like this is going to be a, a crazy match tonight.
0: I like any video basically. That I, I like most videos. You know, I just like. I, I wish there were more videos in AEW and, and any effort to do any sort of like pre production. I'm always a, a fan of. And I would always commend. Um, Excalibur was speaking throughout this this entire thing.
1: Yeah. And they also add that the winner of tonight's tag match will face SCU next week for the tag title. So loading things up for next week, but it's a marathon, remember, for both these shows. Yes, not a sprint. Yeah, but next week is going to be the 100-yard dash. It's a sprint in the middle of a marathon. Yeah, this is where you just kind of, uh you know, you're you're just trying to intimidate people. You know, when I was... I'm going to detour here a little bit. When I was... uh when I was in elementary school, I was on the cross country running team and we'd have like our big meet, and everyone would have their race. And there was this guy in our school that <laughs> he would be the race, the track, like you would, you would run this course and the other kids, like they're waiting for their races. So they're just hanging around. And then some of the students, they'd go and they would cheer on the people in our school that are in our race. And, there were this, this group in my school who said that we're going to go cheer on this guy because when you cheer for him, he just sprints and he blows himself up. And so they go and they're cheering this guy, and he just goes so hard because everyone's cheering him. I was like, what? That's so mean. Did he win? He didn't win, no. Um. I don't know how det- detrimental it was, but it was just... Like, he just... He just he had a still had a long way to go in the race, and he's oh. just killing himself because everyone's like "Go, go anyway that's my sprint versus a marathon analogy folks uh the butcher and the blade had their first a e w match against Cody and q t marshall yeah they're, uh the his, his, cody's assistant his assistant who came out uh decked out in some professional looking gear. And we got an MJF insert promo making fun of Cody and once again calling him champ and then realizing, of course, you can't be champ.
0: So I don't yeah. know if you saw MJF's uh, online I did. promo last week where he took credit basically for introducing the Butcher and the Blade to AEW. Um, referred to that here as well where he said Cody allowing Butcher and the Blade to pick his opponent essentially meant that MJF got to pick his opponent. So he he said that here, but... If you didn't see that thing online, I don't know how clear any of this would have been. So I just I don't know why they didn't mention that on air last week or didn't play that segment on air last week.
1: Yeah, it was like they tried to fit that in into this insert, but it just wasn't long enough that I think it would have uh, translated to. Well, people. the audio
0: was like I don't know, it was low at times for this particular segment as well, and you really would have. Would have had to pay attention to it to get that fact out of it if you didn't see that online promo. Uh,
1: the screen went black for a moment, and then we came back. The audio was on, but the video was gone. Um, Cody tags in immediately. Uh, Cody was super popular here. Um, the Blade hit this dive onto Marshall as Bunny uh, distracted them. And then they got the advantage over QT, which went through the commercial break. Uh, they cut off Marshall, keep him away from Cody. Eventually, they get to the hot tag. Everyone goes wild. Cody's in, hits a moonsault onto Blade, tosses his weight belt into the crowd, and then he scales to the top, comes off with an oscutter onto Blade for a two-count. Then Bunny claws the back of Cody. QT tags in, and he proceeds to hit the ugliest space-flying tiger drop of all time. It was not pretty,
0: but I think it was coming from a guy that you didn't expect it from. So it, it got a really positive, holy shit reaction for this crowd.
1: There, were, there was something to be said about, like, this guy was positioned as the dead weight of the team. So he was going to do all of these high spots to just shock everyone. Um, yeah. And execution was secondary here mm-hmm. because this thing was dreadful. Uh, He just lands on them on the floor. Uh, There's a crossroads by QT onto the blade. Then Cody dives to the floor on Butcher. QT proceeds to hit a twisting senton off the top for a two count. He gets his near fall. Then there's a a double team stunner and a lariat delivered to QT. And they finish him off with a vertical suplex onto the blade's knees for the pin. Uh, So Marshall takes the fall and Cody is distraught on the floor. How did you think Butcher and Blade looked? Um given, you know, a pretty serious and important introduction into the company and this being their first match.
0: Well, first I I mean I, I want to comment on QT Marshall and how I, 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 do, I think the idea of like, you know, introducing somebody who was supposed to be a jobber, somebody who was supposed to handicap Cody in a match, to all of a sudden, in the body of the match, stand out and do all this crazy shit. I find that interesting, but I feel like they didn't do a very good job of establishing that QT Marshall is somebody to be looked at as a joke, as a jobber. I mean they bear- I don't know if this dude even appeared on on AEW Dynamite at all. Uh, and I think you would only recognize that he would be some low-level guy if you've been watching things like Road 2 and things like being the elite where he is very much he's the guy with the apple who is not a serious competitor on in the body of Dynamite itself. Like I don't I don't think they I don't think <laughs> He's just I suppose he would just be like another jobber, just like Alex Reynolds or something like that. But I, I, I feel like to complete the story to like, you know, to to make it that much more of an effective pro wrestling TV story, it definitely wouldn't have hurt to like shoot something in the back or just like some type of video package explaining who QT Marshall is, perhaps what his record is, maybe a highlight of all of his losses, just to set up the fact that this dude is supposed to be a joke choice. Um, I think it would have made him doing all this crazy shit in the match stand out that much more. And they were very successful. I I thought he was very successful in like impressing, but I guess my other question following up with that is how much is QT Marshall going to be appearing in wrestling matches on AEW? And was it worth putting him over in this match at the expense of the, the butcher and the blade who no. for, for their match, this was their debut match. They needed to look, in my opinion, far stronger than
1: they did here. That was my biggest issue, is that this match, it quickly became, the focus was QT Marshall, and Mm -hmm. Butcher and Blade were just the opposition, and they were secondary, and QT became the focus of this match, and this guy should not be the focus. It's like they went, they tried to overcompensate to such a degree that you kind of lost what the priority of this match was, which was establishing this new act as these killers and instead it was well everyone sees QT Marshall as the dead weight here who's just here to take the fall we're going to surprise them and they did but it's uh, to me it came at the expense of getting the butcher and the blade over which uh, they they felt like afterthoughts by the end of this show definitely
0: they definitely didn't look like killers because they were having trouble with somebody who they were trying to position as a joke who had only made appearances on dark and who has a terrible record and you know, by the end of it, I I definitely don't feel like they they had the presence that they needed to as a brand new team.
1: Jim Ross also compared the butcher to Ole Anderson. Uh Cody is just seated on the floor. He looks just devastated. When Darby Allen comes down, everyone's chanting for him. He offers Cody his hand, lifts him up, and we're teasing that Darby Allen is going to befriend Cody, who is out of friends now. Or the friends that he does have are not very talented.
0: Then again, why would you book QT Marshall the way they did? Because QT Marshall was actually booked to do really good in this match.
1: Well, maybe, yeah. At best, I see QT having like a Brandon Cutler role that he's there mm-hmm. as your yeah you know the guy to get to cody that people can run through so darby allen
0: immediately after the segment he tweeted out that uh me and cody had a ton limit draw uh, uh during on june 29th basically their last match yep. he says he never forgot that he says you need a partner for butcher and the blade i'll join you and if we win you give me the rematch so he wants a rematch yeah, that, with cody
1: so that's a uh, that's a good setup on twitter yep and- On Twitter. MJF and Wardlow come out. Lots of heat. And he calls one of the grips into the ring, who apparently laughed when Cody made fun of MJF's crossroads in his promo last week. And he has the grip kiss his ring to apologize. And then when the grip turns his back, MJF hits him with the double crossroads. And this one was executed a bit better. I think he should have continued to fuck up the move.
0: I think so, too. I think he had actually gotten over... Like the bad-looking crossroads, and I suppose it's you know it's it's kind of tough to like intentionally botch something I suppose, um, and have it look the same every time. But I thought it was working for
1: him. This was just a plain crossroads. They continue to censor the crowd here um, to the point that you miss some of the dialogue from MJF, but he gets out that Cody is a great wrestler. On the microphone, he's untouchable except for one guy, him, and to quote somebody. You don't throw rocks at a man with a machine gun, and when this mouth opens, these bullets don't miss. He was in a Great lines. Right? He, he was in rare form here. I thought MJF oh, yeah. was one of the stars of the show, uh, maybe the star. He wants Cody to suffer. That's his objective when he was called a knockoff Jericho, he asked why, because of my scarf that you seem to see as fake. Well, let's talk about fake, Cody. I think you're fake. Your Gary Busey beaver teeth that you could land a helicopter on. You pretend to care about the fans. And then he starts making fun of Dusty's lisp. And the people are just ready to riot at this notion. That's too far. That's it. Making fun of a man's lisp. Oh, yeah. Next he's going to, God knows what he'll make fun of. He says, he brings up, he's like, you will not fire me. Because you've established that all you want is to get your hands on me. And he says, in regards to your challenge, you're on. But there's going to be some stipulations. And I'm not going to share them here in Honkyville, Texas. Instead, he's going to reveal those stipulations in Jacksonville. So you're going to have to wait three weeks to find out what the stipulations are for him to have a match with Cody. He says he's, he's in control, not Cody. And he is better than Cody. Uh, this is one of the best promos we've had on Dynamite to date.
0: Excellent promo from MJF. Incredible projection of his voice. Great command of this crowd. Just again proving, you know, to be a top level public speaker in uh, professional wrestling. So I would really love one of these every single week, but they're definitely kind of like keeping them um, special for the time being, which, uh, which, which is, is which works. I mean. Every time he's on TV with a microphone, I think it's it's something to be seen.
1: Yeah, I think they've got a really great mix of those guys that can go out and it's a big deal that they're just doing a talking segment with, with Cody, with Jericho, and with MJF. Mm-hmm. Dark Order video. Alex Reynolds is in his hotel room scrolling through spoilers for AEW Dark, including him and John Silver losing yet again. And he's watching... They lost,
0: on, they lost on Dark, too?
1: Uh, I guess so, yeah.
0: Oh, okay. Sorry, he, are you... Did you see that in this segment, or are you reporting He that? scrolled through it on his phone. Oh, I didn't see that.
1: Yeah, he was on his phone, and he was just going through results from AEW Dark. Was
0: uh, was it last week or this week? I don't know. Okay.
1: Because they just, already wrestled this week. Uh, well, maybe it was last week. Maybe it was, uh... They didn't, they didn't say when this when this took place. Right. So there's the guy on, like, the in-suite in video talking to him about, you know, the, the options on the menu and blah, blah, blah. And then it gets into the, the Dark Order spiel and asks him about being a jobber and tells Alex Reynolds to stop losing by joining them. And then John Silver walks in and asks, who are you talking to? And so we're to believe that Alex Reynolds has been sucked in.
0: Yeah, yeah, so they're actually amassing, you would think, people with real identities rather than just generic minions. It appears that we're either going to pick up random new joint um, members of the Dark Order or we're focusing a new series of vignettes on a different person. Because the original gentleman from the last three weeks, I guess, is he in the Dark Order now or was he just like beaten up?
1: Wasn't one of them killed last week?
0: Well, yeah, that's who I was talking about. Was he okay, killed? He was the first guy. Was he killed or was that the
1: initiation process? Well, if we don't see him again, I think we can jump to conclusions that he was murdered. Well, he might be in, in yeah. the mask. He could be. He could be under a mask. Yeah, we'll find out.
0: What do you think of these?
1: Um, I think that there is certainly a better direction for Dark Order. I think the jury's still out on how the, these this team will still be received. But I think they have found something that is at least curious and somewhat interesting.
0: I'd, I'd give them like 6 out of 10 in terms of, I think, uh, vignette execution. Uh, it's still better than, you know, what they had before, which is zero. But at this point, four weeks in, is that still praise? You know, that's sort of like the only thing I can say positively about these things is that they are better than not having any vignettes at all. Um, but are they actually good vignettes?
1: I mean, they're produced well. I don't know if it really is. Um, I don't know if this is really going to reinvigorate um, some of these characters. And, and I would go back to my same complaints I've been making is that, okay, we, we, we have established like all of these characters right now. Is, is Alex Reynolds someone that we need to be dedicating this time to at this point in AEW's run? I guess it remains to be
0: seen exactly like how involved Alex Reynolds will be or he'll just be another body
1: to add to like, you know, the minion group. Like this video was in place of replaying that MJF promo that you mentioned from YouTube last week. Yeah. So it's it's all in how we have this many minutes. That cannot change. How are we going to use those minutes most effectively? Is Alex Reynolds worth a two-minute vignette?
0: Again, I, you know, I I do wonder if this is so much about Alex Reynolds as much as it is about Dark Order.
1: Okay, let me ask that. Is Dark Order worth two minutes of TV time each week at the moment when we're still trying to, like, butcher and the blade we're trying to get over? It's, again, I'm not saying yes or no, but it's just yeah. a question that it just seems like we're trying to give everyone something and mm-hmm. that does dilute things. Well, That's one cool. of the problems
0: I, I, I'm i going to talk about later on in the show is is how for guys like Adam Page, you know, it feels like they got storylines and then they just drop them. And then by the time they, they reappear, you just kind of forget about them. So I could see the need to, like, continue this streak of Dark Order videos just to kind of carry on that momentum. Um,
1: yeah, it doesn't it, mean it's, also, want- it's also a cycle, too, that once you've introduced these, you don't want to get into you know, something where you do drop it cold and you got to keep these going. So I'm sure we're going to see a dark order video next week. And, uh, you know, now that you've introduced these, we've kind of got to run with these. Yeah. Big swole versus Emmy Sakura was next. Uh, they got a lot of time here. This one went 10 and a half minutes. Um, they mentioned that big swole had just signed. And at one point here, Jim Ross throws to the commercial break, but there is no commercial. And then he corrects himself here. So this happened, I think, twice on the show, at least. It's it's tough to know who might be
0: to blame for something like this. Whether Jr. was given uh, bad direction or if it was, I can't see Jr. throwing a break on his own. No, I I,
1: I think that so, there had to have been some miscue because yeah, n- no one's throwing a break just out of nowhere. Yeah, um, so it did happen, and and this may have been maybe the source of the confusion because there was one later. Where he goes to throw the break, and then he said, oh, we're not going anywhere, but in Canada, we go to the picture-in-picture. In picture. So internationally, we were going to a break, and I don't know if that was concurrent with... T- I would think that that's the same break pattern as TNT, so okay, I no, don't know. It no was,
0: matter what it is, there's some level of broken telephone, some level of miscommunication, which I think... This has this
1: never level. happened before, so well, this yeah. was this was a new issue this week. So... It, it was a it was a
0: rough presentation either way, whoever's fault it was.
1: Sakura did the uh, we will rock you chops in the corner and then was constantly using her nails on the back, a big swole, which Ross notes, no one will ever win with nails to the back, but damn, they're a pain in the ass. They would be a big pain. I want I want somebody to actually win yeah, with a back break. Like, oh, fuck this. <laughs> Uh, There was a wheelbarrow into a flatliner by Swole. Sakura did this tiger driver into a backbreaker. Then the microphone stand was brought in by Sakura. Rick Knox cannot get it away. So Sakura applies an abdominal stretch while holding the microphone stand to sing into the microphone. Swole gets out. She takes possession of the microphone stand and then finally hands it off to Rick Knox. And Swole spears Sakura And then the closing sequence sees Sakura hitting this double underhook backbreaker, a spinning Vader bomb, misses the moonsault, and Swole spins out, hits her ripcord elbow, which is called dirty dancing, and wins the match in 10:33.
0: I wasn't a big fan of this match. I I thought Sakura's playful style took a lot of attention away from me, identifying with who I feel like should have been the priority in this match, and that was Big Swole as she was getting beaten down, setting her up for those comebacks. Uh, I also thought there was a really awkward, at times sloppy-looking offense throughout between the two, and above all, I thought it was definitely too long for the level yes. of interest that these two, you know, might have might have had um, for somebody's debut. I, I don't think you need to go this long, especially I think in a match with somebody who is barely established in Amy Sakura. So by the end, I I didn't pers- personally think it was that strong of a sho- showcase for Swole.
1: Um. I wasn't as down on swollen in this match, but I did think that the the time hurt them. I think this could have been half the time and, and that would have been fine. Um, and I, I, I was fine with this and the, the microphone stand. I just, I would have canceled that out. I just didn't like it. It's, it's those kinds of spots where it's, it, it puts the announcers in this position where they've got to try and explain what, what's happening here. And to me, it, it wasn't comedic enough that it warranted having to go to that length to have to cover for this. It's just kind of like silly. Um, so big swole wins. And afterwards, uh, they mentioned that Riho will return on January 1st to defend her title.
0: Okay. Yeah. I guess she's, she's taken a
1: month and a half off. She's on the yeah, Brock Lesnar schedule. She is. She is the Brock Lesnar of AEW. Hmm. Jen Decker is with PAC, who said he came to this company for opportunity, but all he has faced is injustice. After dominant performances, he wants a rubber match with Kenny Omega, and if he doesn't get one, he will not be held accountable for what he does next. Okay. I guess it depends what he does next. I mean, there's a certain level that what you are absolutely responsible for your actions. You can't just declare that I'm not responsible or can be held accountable. Like, if you hit this guy with a car... You will be held accountable for that.
0: Yes, yes, you would be. So this would be their third the rubber match,
1: is that yes. right? Yep. Alright. Or it's a new stipulation match where they compete inside of a rubber cage. Um Yep. But probably not. Tully Blanchard did a insert promo and said that he talked about Becoming a great tag team means you are one with your partner. You know exactly what they're going to do at every point, And that is the goal tonight to see if Sean Spears can have that chemistry with Kip Sabian. Because their goal is to become the best tag team in the world. You got to start somewhere. It's a lofty standard to start with. So Sean Spears and Kip Sabian versus Kenny Omega and Hangman Page. And they throw in that Sean Spears is on a four-match winning streak. All right. And no Tully is out with them. Uh, They attack Sabian and Omega does the 10 sign to the crowd. Jim Ross, this is where he um, threw to the break, but then said, we aren't going anywhere, but we did go to a picture in picture here. Um, Omega tags in. He takes out both with these low drop kicks, double Kataro crusher. And then Mont- or Montez Ford, Penelope Ford <laughs> blocks the Terminator dive, and Sean Spears nails him from behind. Ford then comes off the apron doing uh, the Zelina Vega spot with the Rana to Hangman Page, and then uh, goes into the ring with a cartwheel back elbow to Omega in the corner behind referee Bryce Remsberg's back. Omega then avoids deadly hollows, hits a V trigger, the lights go out, and when they appear, Tully Blanchard is tied into what is the most valuable object in pro wrestling in 2019. It's the office chair. The swivel chair. Yes. Yes. The swivel chair. Tully is all tied up. No hoodie to disguise who it is. Uh, Joey Janela has taken Tully hostage. And Sean Spears runs after Janela and they fight to the back. Mm -hmm. This was rather goofy. I, I didn't like it. I, it didn't look really good.
0: I mean, I think the lights out thing too is so overused in AEW and it only sets people up for disappointment. It, it, it didn't it, like the ropes looked really loose. Like I, I think the, another problem was the fact that I just don't even remember why these two were feuding because when was the last time these two might've had interaction? Uh, the pay-per-view,
1: I guess coming out of it, they, they did something
0: maybe like the week after or something, but that yeah, was like, that was like a month ago. Yeah. So, yeah, I was... mean, they're, they're, they didn't remind us of what was going on between Spears and Janela. And all of a sudden I'm seeing like Joey Janela tie up Tully Blanchard and like in the middle of the stage. And, and you really do have to like rack your brain a little, um, to, to really, you know, grasp, I think the, the severity of this particular moment. So it's, it's kind of difficult to remember at this point.
1: Uh, Omega then just gets back to the match. Omega looked really good here. Snapdragon V trigger. And then he's setting up uh, to nail Sabian, but page blind tags and then nails Sabian with the buckshot Lariat. And it's page that takes the pinfall, which they really emphasize that Omega did all the work. And then page got the glory at the end with the idea that page has been in the slump. He needs this win. And at the end of this, this was my epiphany way is that, I really wish Tully Blanchard had been ringside for this with the idea that he's scouting Kip Sabian. And then down the road, it's revealed he was scouting tonight and his new protege is hangman page because I think that is the pairing to go with. That pairing would be great. I just Uh, think Sean Spears is fine. I think Tully is above him at this point. I think Tully needs to be with someone that's going to be a real game changer for them. And hangman needs something at the moment And Tully would be the. I mean, there's just such a natural um, connection. Like, the guy looks like a young Barry Wyndham. And I I think Tully would be great with Hangman.
0: I think he would be great. But I I also do feel like I don't know if Hangman is somebody who needs a mouthpiece. I mean, it's sort of the same thing I would say about Sean Spears. He's not necessarily the first person I would choose to, you know, give a a manager the caliber of Tully Blanchard either. It can add something to to Hangman Page, but that's, you know, probably weeks down the line. My. I, I, so, there's continuing some dissension between Page and Omega. Um, but, you know, my my issue with the infrequent appearances, I think, extends to this program as well. Where, for me, it's kind of tough to maintain my interest as to what's going on with Hangman Page without seeing him that often. They've been teasing it forever that he's... Like, he, he actually flat out quit the Elite on, on um, BTE. And then, um, here, it seems like he's back because... Again, John, on Twitter, if you, if you follow this show on Twitter, which I think everybody is expected to do if they're watching AEW. I right? learned so much more from you following
1: Twitter during this show because you, I am
0: not. You got to follow their, their social media. You have to follow their YouTube in order f- to fully understand all these storylines, which I think is a problem in itself. But they, did, they shot a, a little interview afterwards between Paige and Omega, who, you know, Paige apologized for taking the win. And Omega's like, yeah, it's cool. You know, you're as much a as part of the elite as I am. And Page didn't deny it, so I don't know if they just, like, they're rewinding a few weeks back ignoring
1: their own story development on BTE they, they, or what. Excalibur did bring that up at the beginning of the match, that he was taking a hiatus from the Elite.
0: So then why did Kenny say that he was as much of the Elite as he was?
1: Well, I guess he's still... He's still contracted to okay. the Elite. Whatever. he's, uh... Whatever he's, he's taking there, a vacation. There are,
0: my, my point is there are a lot of problems. Okay, like number one, a segment like that. I think you you got you can make time for on TV. You could take some time off of Amy Sakura versus Big Swole or or whatever else in order to show something like that. That is crucial storyline development that you know is, is really the the bigger to me the bigger um, the more important thing uh, on a program like like you know AEW Dynamite, and, and it's just also not being. I think the inconsistency of first of all the appearance of the storyline, but also just the story itself being somewhat inconsistent. I, I, I think that I have a bit of issue with.
1: I, I do feel like tonight, I think like they tried to cram a lot in here, and then you saw the the women's match get ten minutes, and I think it's kind of a, it's a double edged sword that mm-hmm. you know it's been a criticism that the women. I, I think that would have been a point of contention for people if. The lone women segment got four minutes for their their match tonight, even though it probably would have benefited because you could have gotten some of these other larger stories, uh, like video videos and interviews that you saved for Twitter, got got put onto the show as opposed to the women getting ten minutes tonight, uh, such as they did. So I, I, it's, I only I it's only like, point pick out, your criticism.
0: I only pointed the women's match because it was between I would say two relatively unknown performers. Um, and I really feel like Swole, if it was just a match centered around Swole that she had won in a quick amount of time, that would have actually benefited her more than the 10 minute match that they did have. But it could be any match. I mean, it doesn't even have to be a match. Like, it's a really tight show, you know, that they. You, you they want put the best
1: quality on this show. And tonight, like that 10 minute match, that was too long. Like, that's, uh, like, I don't believe in the idea, like, okay, this, we've got to have X amount of minutes. Uh. For this division and x amount for this it's like you have to you have to put your best product forward that's what it's going to be graded upon, yeah from there, we go to a brandy tape promo in like a hotel room somewhere, and she's asking what would a e w look without her look like without her a kid's gymnastics meet what a <laughs> what a picture she painted of this company. Kids gymnastics. A bunch of kids flipping around, is that what she's like describing this this show would be? I mean does Brandy's
0: uh appearance change that?
1: Uh I guess uh, according to her it does. Okay. Different per- perception. I don't know if this is that's the perception people have. She brings up Riho, has not been around for several weeks, she must be hiding. Then she just takes shots at different women, including Britt Baker, who Keeps talking about her boyfriend and says, here's a game. Take a shot every time she brings him up, which I have to imagine. I have watched every episode of Dynamite. I have never heard Britt Baker bring up Adam Cole. Am I incorrect? I haven't. No.
0: I mean, th- they did draw a reference, of course, last week with the the whole the, the, the Britt Baker challenge thing.
1: That but was it- like a reference of NXT literally bringing up Adam Cole's girlfriend. It was the opposite.
0: Yeah. Anyway, um, maybe she
1: means social media. I don't know if Brit Baker has tweeted about Adam Cole recently. Of course. I'm just going to have Twitter up for everything for Dynamite. Um, she said that if you did this game of taking a shot, you'd be laying on your back, looking up to the lights like you're Leva Bates. Like yeah. Doing uh, one liners here. Then she uh then she moved on from that. she brought up Chris Statlander and the offer for her to join them, which was I guess not answered. so we're, we're doing uh double invites to groups. John Moxley and Chris Statlander have decisions to make over yes. the holidays yes she she mentions that um she also, when running down Britt Baker for always bringing up her boyfriend says it says it's totally different than her and her husband uh, stating that Baker is just a groupie. Whereas Cody is her husband and says that her family is almost complete. They are waiting for their alien to come back as we see this mysterious bald man whose back of the head uh, back of his head is facing us and she won't reveal his identity and kisses him on his head. Yeah, who is this? Uncle Fester. I don't know. Uh, Melanie. It looked looked like um, it looked like a heavier version of uh, Dustin Rhodes' uh, seven character
0: from WCW. Um, okay, I yeah. don't know. So, so I, I'm kind of curious about who this uh, big bold man is. So uh, we'll see. I think the gimmick is, you know, kind of nonsensical, and I think poorly introduced. But there's no denying that Brandy is a really good speaker um i i think she she just she sounds really smooth she's like she's got great charisma i feel even in a segment like this i think she's a great talent i i'm just still not sold on the
1: gimmick jericho and jake hager came out they kicked out tony Schiavone and excalibur from the commentary uh desk and joined jim ross for the next match and Jericho brought up Excalibur, mocking his use of the word lexicon, and he explained the word's origin as we go into our match between Sammy Guevara and Luchasaurus, the comedy here being that Jake Hager never said a word. Yeah. Uh, Luchasaurus booted Guevara off the corner. Uh, Jericho brings up Jungle Boy being the son of Luke Perry, he Was really trying to get the match over for next week, where Jungle Boy has to go 10 minutes uh, and try and last with Jericho. Uh, we go through a commercial here. Guevara lands on his feet from a choke slam attempt, and then Luchasaurus goes for another choke slam, but instead turns him over for a tombstone. But then slams him on his chest for the win. Um, and then after immediately, Jericho and Hager storm the ring. Jungle Boy attacks Jericho, skins the cat, and does his Hurricane Rana. Grabs the legs and cradles Jericho as Marco Stunt counts three. So we got the the visual of Jericho being pinned. For the first time in AEW. He lost to Scorpio. Oh, uh, the second second time, right, with Sky.
0: You know, this was sort of it for Jungle Boy on this show. I thought they would do a little bit more telling us about his story. You know, at the least, perhaps letting the guy have a match. Instead, they they chose to have him corner Luchasaurus and instead gave him this this, um, visual fall, I suppose, at the very end, which did help, of course. But I don't think it did enough to make me look at next week as a big enough deal of a match. Certainly it'll be the biggest match of Jungle Boy's life, but I, I I expected a little bit more here. The same way that I feel, you know, Scorpio Sky had that big, excellent promo at the end of, or, or that week before his match with, with Jericho, and that ended up feeling like a big deal the week before. I don't sense the same with Jungle Boy.
1: Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how they do next week's show differently than Scorpio Sky after Jericho specifically brought up that they could have done more during the actual show leading up to that match. If they go that direction, because I mean, it is kind of different. It's not like he's going for the title. It's almost like the story is if he lasts a 10 minutes, it's how you handle him coming out of that. Um, I I don't know. We'll, we'll see how they they handle it next week. And it's, Already, that's gone from, like last week, that was positioned as the big match. Um, it's no longer the big match next week. I don't think it's even the top two matches next week, now that you have uh, the tag title match. And you've got um, the Lucha Brothers against Omega and Hangman Page next week, which is a pretty big tag match. Hmm. Um, so that was announced. This is when they announced the uh, the pay-per-view for February 29th. Uh, Revolution is what they are calling it. And our Texas street fight, the Young Bucks versus Santana and Ortiz. Ortiz and Santana attack the Bucks uh, on their way to the ring, and Brandon Cutler came out. He gets power bombed off the stage, so he was gone. It's Falls Count Anywhere, and we go right into things. The Bucks come back. They hit an indie Taker onto Sammy Guevara, and then Nick climbs the tunnel and gets on top, hits a Swanton off of it, and only gets a two-count, uh, putting him through a table. Santana gets the loaded sock. So they're using that weapon. And then Nick gets a trash can placed on top of him. They're beating the trash can when Matt Jackson appears wearing a Dallas Cowboys helmet for the easy pop. And he spears both Ortiz and Santana. And then he takes the helmet and goes to swing it like Miles Garrett. So the crowd got into this. And then Santana took the helmet and he spit on it.
0: Yeah, spat on the helmet. Ouch. Dastardly.
1: Uh, after the break... Nick did a 450 splash onto a trash can that looked fun right on top of Ortiz. And he's going for the cover when Jake Hager pulls Rick Knox to the floor. Nick then goes for a running kick on the apron, misses Hager and takes out Rick Knox. This was the kick of death because we never heard from Rick Knox again. Then Dustin runs down. He takes out Jake Hager. They fight to the back. They hit more bang for your buck. There's no referee. So Aubrey Edwards runs down. She counts, two, and she got a huge chant from the Texas crowd. Street Sweeper sweepers hit the mat on top of the trash can, and Aubrey goes to count when Nick pulls Aubrey down to the floor, and it's no DQ because it's a street fight. Santana gets shoved off the top by Matt, and this, this was my favorite. Santana gets dropped. He lands feet first on the edge of the apron, and then he flipped off the apron through a table. Like, just the momentum forced him to flip off. It can happen. Yeah. yeah. So he's out. Nick super kicks a chair into Ortiz and they finish Ortiz with the melter driver on top of chairs as the young bucks get a pretty solid win here and set up SCU versus the bucks next week that JR, As they do the face off with the champions JR calls next week their most loaded show to date. So yeah. it is on next week between both sides putting uh, their best shows forward.
0: We shall see. We shall see. You know, this was a very good match, match of the show. Very impressive-looking double-team spots. It was like a fun car crash type of spot, or car crash type of match to end the show. Builds the Bucks up for a big match next week.
1: Yeah, also worth noting, um, so I didn't even realize this, but someone brought it up. MLW was going to be doing their TV tapings on February 29th at Cicero Stadium, just outside of Chicago. And... Yesterday they moved those tapings to April. So that kind of makes sense that they must have got the heads up that MLW's running their pay-per-view in the market that day.
0: Oh, okay. Well, I mean, you wonder if what if they had moved it like into the afternoon or the day of or the day before.
1: I'm I'm sure that they didn't want to I I mean, it's why run the same weekend if you're MLW. It's you well, know, just a go- piggyback. Um I don't know if, if people would be going to a, you know, a three-hour taping in the afternoon and then going to a pay-per-view. Who knows if AEW is going to make – if they're going to do any other events that weekend. Um, I, I mean, MLW, they must have thought it was just worth it to have their own weekend in April. Hmm. Okay. But that was Dynamite. Uh, your thoughts overall on this week's show going into next week in Corpus Christi? I would say I'm less strong on the product
0: right now. I still think it's it's it has a lot of like really great things to offer and I'm thinking about you know angles with MJF uh promos with MJF that are tremendous. I think they're doing a good job right now with Mox and Jericho. I look forward to seeing what what's going on there. Um Darby Allen, um I haven't seen him much lately, but anytime he's on screen he's electric and I look forward to seeing what he's going to do with Cody. Everything that like, you know, it, it is is of like the the main event um, level guys is usually really good, but I think it continues to show a lot of weaknesses amongst the mid card, amongst the new talents that they're trying to build up. To me, overall, there fe- it feels like there's just a real lack of cohesion about uh, who's getting storylines, how frequently they're featured, and you know making sure that those storylines I think are are well told, uh, told, and that they're actually good. Um, I feel like a lot of these kind of like. Beginners level types of mistakes are are really showing themselves.
1: Yeah, I just think it's at a point where it's really hitting these two weeks that they they're just overextending themselves with so many characters and so many storylines, and it goes to you know the one of the pluses was always you know in the late '90s in the WWF that wow everyone from the top of the card to the bottom had a storyline, and uh, granted, but. They also had they had multiple shows that people could follow, even pre-Smackdown. And I think that, you know, you look at this roster and in two hours, I don't know if everyone needs to be having storylines. Like, there are those that we are pushing and those that have to be getting those people over. And I think that um, it's more or less looking, what is connecting, what is not, and maybe dialing back on so many angles and so many stories each week that – that becomes very hard to follow, where even something as, like, Hangman Page and his descent from the elite, it just gets it gets lost in the shuffle. And just by necessity, you can't continue these stories week by week. And with so many going on, if someone's off for a week, it's, it's quite the reset once they're back on TV in two or three weeks. Let's see what the forum thought. All right, tonight's show, on a scale of 1 to 10, gets... A 7.46, so still a very strong rating from our forum. Paul from New Jersey starts off, I can't say I was too familiar with The Blade and The Butcher. I recall their debut getting mixed reviews among the postmarks, but I thought they and The Bunny had a great showing. Everything Chris Jericho does is brilliant, and and the MJF promo was great. A few nitpicks. This women's division has no identity. The wrestling is fine, but there's very little character development. Not sure I remember the last time I saw Riho. Seems like she could be kind of important from the position that she's in. Also, Jim Ross is just terrible these days. Otherwise, get another very enjoy, get another very enjoyable show from this company. Got a Andrew from Cape Breton who says, So because I got back
0: home last week off the night shift from work, this is my first AEW Dynamite ever, and I was blown away. I knew from this podcast and GIFs online that AEW's biggest issue were some sloppy matches, but tonight was solid. The show beat some of WWE's best shows just with an opening squash match and how electric this crowd was. And then the show got better. I thought The Butcher and The Blade were great, but the team with The Bunny just sounds like a bad nursery rhyme. I like The Blade better than The Candlestick Maker. I also liked how they made QT Marshall into this Yoshihashi type of loser character, which just made the crowd love him even more. The biggest contrast to WWE is how they present babyfaces. Everyone presented as a babyface seemed genuinely likable. All the matches were great tonight. Match of the night for me, though, was Big Swole and Amy Sakura. It seems the women's division is finally going to get on
1: track. 9 out of the 10 show. All right, well, A strong review for this show. Uh, Maguire, if ever there was a time for a what chant, MJF's video promo, as Cody entered, was it. As in, what the hell is he saying because the audio is too low? The feed went dark on TSN2 on a couple occasions as well. Not sure if that's a TSN2 problem or an AEW one, but the technical hiccups continue. I hope they let Allie keep wrestling, but admittedly, she plays the valet role very well. Overall, not a bad debut for the Butcher and the Blade, but I'm still unsure what their unique role is supposed to be. What was the name of the finisher by Luchasaurus? That looked brutal. Jericho on commentary is fun, but you really miss Excalibur, When he's not there to call the action, another crazy match from the Bucks to close things out. Good show that was held back by its technical issues, and he gives the show a 6.5 out of 10. Brandon from Oshawa. Really excellent
0: show this week. Everything flowed together nicely with some good build for the next couple episodes. I wasn't into the idea of Tully looking for a partner for Spears, but I'm glad they didn't just drop the Janela feud like I feared they were doing. I do think Tully needs to add a team, but keep Spears as a single star. I'm disappointed they're going back to Chicago again for another show. This town is get, is getting way too many shows, and I can't believe there was there was no other options for their next pay per view. I also hate the name Revolution. It's too WWE. I went on the Dark Order website after the show and decided to join them. I love what they've been doing with this gimmick so far, and I'm intrigued at how far they've gone with this website. I'm currently waiting for an email for from them.
1: Oh, what a well they got you. I would I would imagine, just uh, specific to Brandon, that I would imagine Oshawa wasn't one of the finalists for the pay-per-view, you would think. Um, no. Uh, AJ from Pennsylvania. This was a great show, much better than weeks past. The only low light was the women's match, which was just too long. Match should have been two to four minutes shorter with the time being used for a promo video to introduce Big Swole. MJF was money, and that promo was executed perfectly. My favorite part of the show is just how it started. Hot crowd with your top star looking like a badass, walking through the ca- crowd, coming down and just murdering a jobber. Loved every second of it. This is the first week I've heard TNT trying to mute the crowd when they are chanting curse words. Other than that, I really don't see these glaring technical issues people are talking about. Everything seems high quality to me. Uh, and that's from someone in the US, so that would have been uh, on TNT.
0: Right. Verouge from Phoenix, not a lot of thoughts this week. My girlfriend and I just had twins this past Saturday, so I wasn't paying as much attention to wrestling as I normally would. Well, you're excused, Verouge. Yeah. Congratulations. I really feel like Spears could get over fairly easily if they just let Tully cut a damn promo once in a while. The chemistry they had together leading up to All Out was fantastic, and AEW hasn't capitalized on that at all. No chance Moxley joins the inner circle, right? I expect the T's going so far as to have him even say he's joining only to turn on them immediately, not unlike AJ Styles with Aces and Eights. Also, Chicago getting another pay-per-view, that's a little disappointing. I don't expect them to come to Phoenix for a pay-per-view anytime soon, but Chicago is getting so much, and I'd
1: settle for an episode of Dynamite once a year. Well, I guess uh, everyone, everyone's upset with uh, Chicago. I mean, it's not their fault. It's, uh... Noah from Vaughn, once again, I love this show. The Dark Order video was cool, and I can't wait to see who they recruit next. And as always, it seems the star of the show is this crowd. Each week, it has to be talked about for how much it impacts the show when you see someone like Big Swole get a huge ovation during her entrance. It elevates the wrestler so much for the viewers watching on TV. I know they they only had 11 episodes this year, but I'm leaning towards voting for Dynamite, the best weekly wrestling show of the year. Your thoughts? Well, we'll be doing our own year-end show, so we will have plenty of thoughts come the end of the year. Ryan says, I had problems with
0: my feed on TSN2. The screen went blank for a bit. Still had the audio going normally though. I mean, stuff like that happens, even in NFL games, but it still sucks. I feel like this is the start of the Kenny push. The timing is almost perfect for it. The honeymoon phase just ended a few weeks ago, and the arguably best guy in the business today is getting hot. It's like they knew something like this would happen. Long-term booking, what a concept.
1: Kenny writes, after a bad show last week, this show was really fun and flew by. Luchasaurus went back to being a highlight, and I thought Sammy was really great in that match. The real highlight of the night was actually the valets. Bunny and Penelope both came off like big stars, even if the teams they were managing were a little underwhelming. My one big complaint is that a guy diving off the entrance through a table was barely a near fall. I don't want to sound like Jim Cornette here, but if that dive is a nothing move in a TV match, what is Nick going to have to dive off of on pay-per-view? I mean, it was a street fight, so you were going to see a lot of crazy action. And that was one of the big spots to hold you at, at the beginning. So um, you kind of have to establish what these street fights are as well. So there's that balance.
0: Finally, we got a Trent Scott who says, hey, guys, I was at the show live tonight and it was an absolute blast. However, instead of giving my review, I thought it would be more interesting to give my brother's thoughts who I dragged to the show with me. He's not a wrestling fan at all. He really enjoyed the street fight and the Moxley squash match, as well as the Orange, as well as Orange Cassidy, who wrestled in the dark main event. He also had a, had fun booing MJF. On the other hand, he was not impressed at all by the women. Overall, though, he said he really enjoyed, and although he won't watch it on watch it on TV, he definitely would go to another live show.
1: All right, cool, well, trans. Oh, it was great when we hear from people uh, that were there live. And uh, did you hear who did commentary on Dark tonight?
0: Yes, I did. Um, I forget right now. Vicky
1: Guerrero. Vicky, yes. Yeah. So that will kind of be interesting. Yeah.
0: Um, hey, I forgot to give out a shirt earlier uh, today. Oh, so...
1: right, right, right. Let's do that now before so, we get out of here.
0: You know what? Um, I'm going to give it to Trent Scott's little brother. So um, thank you, Trent, for giving us your live report. Uh, I shall be messaging you, and you win the t- this week's draw. <laughs>
1: fantastic so next week uh, we've got on Dynamite they're going to do a a match to determine the number one contender for Riho uh, with Britt Baker taking on Chris Statlander and then we've got the Lucha Brothers against Kenny Omega and Hangman Page and Chris Jericho versus Jungle Boy uh, so wait. plus SCU and the Bucks so Statlander versus
0: Baker yes I thought Sheeta was number one contender
1: Sheeta got beat by Statlander. So I that guess. would make her number three? I don't know what the rankings are, but I guess Statlander beating Sheeta means that she has uh, she's closer now. Let me just look at this.
0: Sheeta's still number one.
1: Well, I, I don't know. It kind of doesn't make sense for cheetah to override statlander though does it but statlander just started so her records one to know yeah but she beat the number one contender that doesn't mean you you're you, you lose everything it means you don't get an immediate title match coming off a loss okay in fact they're ranked fourth and fifth respectively who baker and
0: statlander yeah not that it matters I mean am I even silly for even complaining about this stuff
1: um I I think this one I I don't have as big of an issue with it unless you kind of question why they went so hard with Sheeta where in establishing her only to do the loss to statlander but anyway this will set up your January 1st title match with the return of Rio he has right. gone missing so that's next week uh do you know what the main event is for NXT next week? Or are you... Uh... I haven't watched it yet. You could, you could say it. I don't care. Spoilers, spoilers, everybody. Okay. So n- next week on NXT, they will be countering with uh, Shayna Baszler, Rhea Ripley, and then in the main event, we have Adam Cole and Finn Balor. All right. Cool. So should be a big week next week. Oh, yeah. What do you think is the bigger show right now, now that you've seen what AEW has added?
0: Um, I'm, I'm definitely finding myself more interested in what's going on in NXT these days. So I, that has more of
1: my personal interest. Yeah, I, I do feel like, uh, they didn't make a big deal of it, but man, having Omega and Ray Phoenix in a match together next week, like that should be excellent. No doubt. So I think you're going to get two great shows next week. I think to, uh, they're going to end off the year pretty, pretty strong. Yeah. We will see. Uh, That's going to wrap things up. So uh, thank you to everybody for tuning in. Way and I will be back Thursday, 3 p.m. Eastern with the Cafe Hangout. Uh, We do not have a guest scheduled because there is just too much stuff to talk about that is coming up this weekend. We've got an ROH pay-per-view. We've got uh, NWA pay-per-view. We've got a WWE pay-per-view. We've got one of the most loaded UFC cards of the year on Saturday night with three title fights. So I'm game to talk about all of this stuff on Thursday. And the phone lines will be open way the whole show. Very exciting. Thank you, um, everybody in
0: advance, for calling in. I don't, I don't know where I was going with that.
1: All right. Well, all CAFE members can tune in live and call in. So we look forward to chatting with any and all of you Thursday, 3 p.m. Eastern time. Uh, and that is it. Good night, everybody. We'll speak with you tomorrow.